kindly turn with me to your scriptures in the book of 1 Peter chapter 4, and we are reading from verses 8 to 11. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 8 to 11. And this morning I'm reading from the New King James Version of the Bible. 1 Peter 4, verse 8 onwards. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracle of God, oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified. Through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Here ends the reading of the scripture this morning. I want to just briefly introduce our speaker for this morning. Among us this morning uh, to preach God's word to us, Dr. Ama Tego. We serve an amazing, amazing God. An amazing God. And when we lift him up like this, we know he comes to dwell in our midst. And when we lift him up like this, he comes and all burdens are solved. For we know there is healing in the name of Jesus. There is salvation in the name of Jesus. There is redemption in the name of Jesus. The Bible says that demons tremble at the sound of that name. The Bible says that troubles just melt away at the mention of that name. But we serve an amazing, amazing God. Um, a pleasure to be here this morning to share the word of God with you. Shall we pray, please? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for um, how awesome you are. We thank you for how gracious you are to us. And Lord, we love you so much. And Lord, as we've come this morning to hear your word, we pray that you will speak to us. That Lord, as we listen to you, that you would hear us. And by the time we leave your presence today, we know that we have been with you and you have renewed us and you have given us new hope and new confidence in you. We pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. In the Bible passage that we read from 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter is writing to the early Christians in the second century. The, the context by which Peter was speaking happens to be in the second century uh, Christians when they were being beaten, they were being frightened, they were being jailed, they were being killed. And this happened under Emperor Nero. Just around the time before Apostle John left and went to the island of Patmos. That is the context within which this particular letter was written. This particular part of scripture was written. It is very important for us to share the context. Why is that so? Because we will see why Peter was so passionate about encouraging the Christians to keep fighting on, to not give up, 
that troubles may come, that persecutions may come, but that we are winners, that we are more than conquerors in Christ, that we don't have to give up. Now, Nero happened to be one of the last uh, Augustus emperors at that time. Now, five years into his reign, he had his mother killed. As a young ruler, he had his mother killed. And then he went after the Christians to try and persecute the Christians. One of the things that he did was that there was a big fire in Rome called the Great Fire of Rome. And what had happened was that almost about two-thirds of Rome got destroyed in in this big fire. Now, historians tell us, historian Tacitus tell us that the fire was actually started by Nero because he wanted to build a big palace. So he was clearing the town, the city. And as a result of it, the fire went out of control. So he blamed the Christians for this because he said the Christians didn't help to put the fire away. That the Christians was expecting that it was part of the judgment, that the city that was burning, that Rome was on fire because of the Christians. So he got them and started putting them in jail. Now, if you look at the image behind you, uh, where's the PowerPoint of the, I can see it in front of me, so I thought you can see it also. Um, so this is the Colosseum in Rome, and in the Colosseum, they would get the Christians and then bring them into the Colosseum and expose them to lions, and lions would eat them up live. Can you imagine? So the Christians were being thrown into this Colosseum, and the lions would rush out and come and eat them alive. It is within this context that Peter wrote this to the Christians and said, let's show love to each other, let's pr- Pray for each other. Let's minister to each other because of the wonderful grace of God that has been given to us. And Peter went on in the context of chapter 1 and chapter 2 of the word to tell us about this wonderful redemption that you and I have. The wonderful redemption that has called us to the very purpose for which God wants us to live. The wonderful, amazing, ultimate service for which I have been called and for which you have been called. And in the passage that we read, Peter used the word redemption, and there are three different words that are used to describe redemption. The first word that is used to describe redemption is agorazo. Now, agorazo in the Greek means to purchase something from the market. So think about it for a minute. Redeemed, redeemer, redeemed, Agorazo means to purchase from the market. So imagine you go to Malata market or you go to Mokola market and you go and buy a goat or a sheep. Now when you buy the goat and you are taking the goat home, it is you who have bought a goat, so you have every right to the goat and you take the goat home, right? Now can the goat go back to Mokola? Should the goat go back to Mokola? Should it try to go back to Mokola? Because you have paid for the goat. So you have every right to get the goat, right? That is the term agorazo that is used to purchase from the market. To take it from the market. Now when you take this goat home, what do you do about the goat? You care for it, right? Because now the goat belongs to you. And that is the picture of redemption that Peter is talking about here. The other word that is used is ezagorago. And ezagorago means that to be purchased and no more available for sale. So think about it. 
When you and I are purchased and redeemed by Christ, we are not only purchased from the market, but we are not for sale anymore. That goat, when that goat is purchased, when that goat is purchased and you are bringing the goat home, that goat can kick and scream, but the goat now belongs to you. Now, I'm willing to be a goat for Christ. I'm willing to be a sheep for Christ. I'm willing to be the one that Christ is leading me. And when Christ gets me from the market of sin, and when Christ takes me away from the market of sin, and when Christ is bringing me home away from the market of sin, I'm no more for sale. I'm not available anymore. The devil cannot lay any claim on me because I've been purchased with the blood of Christ. As we're going to celebrate communion, we're celebrating that wonderful redemption that Christ has done for us. When we think of the blood of Christ, and when we think of his body, and when we think of what he did for us on the cross, that is what he means by purchasing us, taking us from the market. The last word that is used in the New Testament to describe redemption is lutro. Lutro is to purchase and to give freedom. I was reading where an American went to one of the slave markets about 200 years ago or so. He went to the slave market and they were auctioning slaves. So he went and sat down for a while and he saw so many slaves that were being auctioned. When he came to one particular slave, he decided to bid on the slave. So he was bidding on the slave. He was bidding on the slave till nobody could bid anymore. And after that, he paid and he was given the certificate of purchase. So after that, he took the certificate of purchase and gave it to the slave and said, I purchased you to set you free. The slave started crying and said, you purchased me to set me free. I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to go with you. Wherever you go, I'm going to go with you. Wherever you live, I'm going to live with you. If you've purchased me from slavery and you are going to free me and you want me to go, I'm not going anywhere. That should be our attitude with Christ. When Christ has purchased us from the market, when Christ has picked us up and, and removed us, we owe him that allegiance. We owe him that complete allegiance. Now, why did Christ go through all of this to call us? Why did he go through all of this to redeem us? Each of us are redeemed for the ultimate purpose of serving our maker, the ultimate purpose of being the priest that Christ has called us to. So Peter in chapter 1 and chapter 2, and there is the outline of the sermon at the back of your bulletin. If, so we're not going to read all the verses that I'm going through now just because of time, because we have a full day packed today, and I'm not going to take an hour preaching. But all the verses are in the back of your bulletin. So Peter said that in, in 1 Peter chapter 1 and 1 Peter chapter 2, that you and I have been called into a priesthood, that we are redeemed not only for redemption's sake, we are redeemed not only to go to heaven, but we have been redeemed so that we would go through the persecution together that we will go through the persecution ministering together. Now think of those Christians in the second century who were being exposed to the lions. And then you will feel what Peter was saying, that each of us have been called into a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that the priesthood is no more than reserved for only our pastor and only the pastors and only the reverend ministers because all of us, all of us have been called into that wonderful priesthood. In the Old Testament, the priesthood was only left for the high priests. 
But in this day and age, all of us have been called in the New Testament era where you are a priest. And what does that mean? What does that mean that you are a priest and I'm a priest? What is it that we are being called to? So you and I are being called into this royal priesthood, which basically, if you look at the role of the priests in the church, you and I have been called into a priesthood of sacrifice. And Romans chapter 12, 1 to 2 tells us that you and I have been called to sacrifice our very beings. We've been bought from the market. We've been taken from the market so that we will bring the sacrifice of praise to the Lord. You remember that old song? We bring sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. We bring sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. And we offer unto thee sacrifices of thanksgiving. And we offer unto to thee sacrifice of praise this morning as we're worshiping together as priests we were bringing that sacrifice to the lord you and i were just bringing that sacrifice that ultimate sacrifice that we've been called to that we will pour down our lives onto the sacrifice for the lord but we are called beyond that we're called beyond that also. As priests, we are called to offer intercession on behalf of each other. Because as priests, the high priest would go before the throne and before the Holy of Holies and bring intercessions on behalf of the saints. Now you and I are called together so that it's not only the deacons who have to bring intercession before the Lord, it's not only the deaconesses, but each of us in our small groups, in our cell groups, in the women fellowship, in the men fellowship, we are encouraged to bring intercessions before the Lord on behalf of each other. If you're going home, if there's an announcement and you hear that so-so-and-so, sister, so-so-and-so is having a challenge, you go Unto the Lord and lift that sister before the Lord and bring that brother before the Lord and then go on WhatsApp and tell that sister, I'm praying with you. That encouragement alone is the role that you have to play and I have to play because we've been called into this ultimate service, this wonderful service of priesthood, the priesthood of the believer. But it doesn't end there. It doesn't end with only the sacrifices we have to make. It doesn't end with only the, the um, intercessions that we have to give. But it also goes beyond that. And in the passage that we read, it also says that you and I have to be witnesses. We collectively have to bring glory to God. And one way we bring glory to God is when we tell others about the love of Christ. As priests, our role is to minister, and we minister by telling others about the love of Christ, the love that was used to purchase me from the market, the love that took me out of the market and took me home, the love that pulled me out of the market and said, I'm not for sale anymore. It is that love that I have to be able to tell others. This morning, I was in Uber um, going to Shashi, and after a while, we started talking to the driver, and we said, well, do you go to church? He said, well, I don't go to church. My father is a Muslim. My mother is a Catholic. Um, I'm in between. And I said, you know, your father loves you very much. Your mother loves you very much. You have to love them very much too and respect them. 
But there's coming a day when each of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ alone. Alone. So although your father loves you so much and your mother loves you so much, they too will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And therefore, you have to make a decision for yourself, just for yourself. This morning, I don't know whether you're here with a question about Christ. I want to believe that in a crowd size like this, I would wish that every one of us is saved. But if you are here and you're still wondering about this Jesus Christ that we are happily singing about, if you're here and you have questions, I pray that after the service you will talk to the pastors, you find a leader and talk to, so that your questions will be resolved. Because the God that we serve is an awesome God. He's an amazing God. He's this God who can solve every single problem in this world. And if someone tells you there is no God, you look them straight in the eye and say, yes, there is God. Yes, there is God. Yes, there is God. Yes, there is God. The universe tells us there is God. Our being tells us there is God. There's everything around that tells us there is God. Science tells us there, there is God. And you and I have been called into this privileged role of being part of this miracle that is going on. Part of this awesome witness that God has called us to. That is the context of the text that we've read itself. Now you may tell me, well, th that is good enough, but that is not good enough for me for tomorrow, Monday, when I have all these troubles coming at me. Uh, that Brother Felix, this is, not, this is not good enough for me. So what is the whole point of 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8 to 11? What is the whole point? The whole point of it is that the God who has redeemed us from the market, the God who has called us from the market, the God who has saved us from Malata market, from Kanishi market, the God who has called us and brought us home, he's a God who cares very deeply about us. You can take that to the bank. He's the God who cares very deeply about you. No matter the troubles that are coming your way, no matter the challenges that you may be facing, no matter the difficulties that you may be facing, the God who has brought you out of the market is the God who cares very passionately about you. And he's the one who is providing himself a lamp for the sacrifice. If you remember Abraham and Isaac, when they got to Mount Moriah, Isaac said, Father, here we come. We have the firewood. We have the altar. We have the matches. We have everything else. But we don't have a lamb for the sacrifice. What did Abraham say? The Lord himself will provide a lamb. The Lord himself, and they named the place Jehovah Jireh, I, God, will provide. A God is the provider. A God, Jehovah Jireh, is the provider. A God is the provider. When tomorrow or the day after, you see that doctor's report and the news is not good. When you look at your finances and you don't know whether you can pay the rent at the end of the month, when you look at the school fees for the children and you don't know where it's going to come from, at that point, God sees, he knows, and he cares. When you are trying to solve that relationship with your brother, your aunt, your uncle, your cousin, 
and the relationship is that's too much family trouble. And you think God doesn't care. He knows and he cares. When you're having that trouble at work and that manager is annoying you and that manager is making things difficult for you and you're afraid about your job. When you're going to that interview and you don't know whether you're going to get that job, God knows and he sees and he cares and he loves you. That is why it matters the calling that he has called us to. When you are dreaming about that business that you want to start and you don't know whether you're going to get the little capital that you need for it and you go to the bank and you think they're going to turn you down, God sees and knows and cares very deeply about that too. This is the God that we serve. He knows you by name. He provides for you by name. He sees every tear that drops. He knows every single hair that we have on our heads. He sees every single one of them. Today I'm wearing my wig so you can see my hair very clearly. But for those of us, the men who don't have hair, God still loves you. God still loves you. God still cares about you. He can count your DNA. So you may not have hair, but he knows you and he loves you still. We serve an amazing God who knows us from inside out who cares very deeply about us. And it is he, it is he who lays a table before us. He lays a table before us in the presence of our enemies. Now, think about it. It is God who lays the table before us. So he puts the food on the table, right? So he knows what is good for us. He knows that I love contumely and apim. So... It, 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 so when he puts contumely and apim on the table, it is he who has provided. You see, he knows you like banku. So when he gives you the banku, he will give you banku and you give me apim. You see the difference? Or maybe you like to ozafi and, and he puts to ozafi on your plate. It is he, think about it. It is he who lays a table in front of us. So when you see that he's put banku on somebody's table and he's put a pim on somebody's table, we don't have to look at somebody else's table. We only look at our table because it is he who has put the table in front of us. It is he who has laid the table in front of us. Because the Lord is my shepherd. It is he who creates the table. It is he who puts the meal on the table. He puts on the table what he knows is sufficient for me. He puts on the table what he wants me to have. And when I eat what he's giving me, I get the nourishment to fight on, to keep on. Because he knows my name, he cares, and he sees. Now, secondly, secondly, so you said, so what? I said, so the first one is he cares deeply about you. The second one is that he's called us into this ministry of priesthood also because he wants us to bring him the glory and the praise as we read in First Peter chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. It tells us clearly that this whole reason he has given us this grace, this amazing grace, this awesome redemption, is that we bring glory to him, that we reflect his glory. Now, reflecting his glory, it's like magnifying him. And Psalm 34 tells us, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let's together lift up his holy name. What does it mean to magnify? What does it mean to magnify? When you magnify something, what happens? I'm sorry? It gets bigger. Okay, so you magnify something, it gets much, much bigger, right? Is, is that all? Now, when you magnify it, so when it's bigger, you can see it better. 
right? So if I take my phone right now and I do the magnifier, I can see this text much bigger than it is now. And maybe you can even see it from the far back if I magnify it. So when we magnify the Lord, the Lord becomes bigger, bigger than our problems, bigger than the troubles, bigger than the diseases, bigger than the illnesses, because we are magnifying him. So this morning together as we're worshiping, as we're singing praises, we are magnifying the Lord. We are making him bigger. We are telling him, Lord, you are bigger than my problems. Lord, you are bigger than my troubles. Lord, you are awesome and amazing. You are much, much bigger than the trouble I think I'm going through today. The pain I'm feeling, you are bigger. Now, when we magnify, we also see the things clearer. Right? When you magnify something, you see it clearer. You see it better. So we see the purity of God. We see his holiness. We see his beauty. We see how charming he is just by looking at the magnified God. You and I are called to magnify the Lord daily. To make him bigger. To make him clearer. And not only that, when we magnify something, it looks closer to us than it actually is. Right? So it looks bigger. It looks clearer. And then it also looks much closer. So then we draw closer to the Lord. We draw closer to the Lord that way. As he covers us. As he becomes the banner around us. As he envelopes us with his love. Because we have magnified him. Oh, let's magnify the Lord daily. Let's magnify the Lord in our morning devotions. Let's magnify the Lord during the day when we are at the office. Let's magnify the Lord in the evening before we go to bed. Let's magnify the Lord and make him much bigger than our problems. Much bigger than the troubles that we have. And finally, finally, we are called into this service, this awesome service, not only because we would magnify the Lord, not only because he cares deeply about us, but also because together we call to become successful in this race, in this amazing race, this amazing race called redemption, this amazing race that we've been called to. One of my favorite programs in the U.S. Uh, on television, it's called The Amazing Race. And this race, um, I'm, I'm sure there'll probably be YouTube versions up online, and this race brings several, like maybe 50 or 100 runners to start. And they go around the world in doing different, different difficult things. And they all come back uh, after the, uh, the race and they win a million dollars. Whoever wins, wins a million dollars. Um, it, it, is, it is an amazing race that they do. And you and I have an amazing race that at the end, we have more than a million dollars waiting for us. You and I have an amazing race that what God, the price he has for us at the end, is awesome than one million dollars. It is eternal life. It is eternal life. And you're here, if you're here this morning again, and you don't know this amazing grace, I want to introduce you again to this Jesus. This awesome Jesus who cares very deeply and very passionately about you. That because he cares deeply about you, he left his father's throne to come and die. And again today, as we celebrate communion, we are celebrating that redemption. And this awesome, awesome, awesome race that we've been called to do, that we've been called to persevere together. Hebrews tells us that we are surrounded by such a great crowd of witnesses. 
Now, that cloud of witnesses that we are embraced with, that are cheering us on and saying, keep, keep going, keep going, keep going. Now, together we have to cheer ourselves on. Now, and remember the contest again, what Peter, who Peter was writing to the early Christians. Now, they know that so-so uh, and so have just been eaten by the lions. And they are going to come after us. So, you hold each other together. You bind together. You become one in caring for each other and running the race together and persevering together. Because the Christian race is a marathon. It's not a sprint. The Christian race that we are in is a marathon. I don't know how many runners are here. Do we have any young people? We, the old ones, can't run anymore. Um, when I try to run, my knees hurt. I can't run anymore. Do we have any young people here who run? I, I, a lot. Can I see by hands those who run? I see, I see a few. So, so running, running, it's like, this is like running the marathon. The marathon is 26 miles. It's like running from Eburi to, I mean, Adabraka here. It's like running that distance. That's the marathon. So imagine uh, it, there's a Boston Marathon in the United States, which is one of the most famous uh, marathons. And in this marathon, when you run from mile zero, when you get to mile 20, which happens to be in Newton, Massachusetts, a town that I used to live in, there's a hill, an incline. So imagine you've run 20 miles. By the time you get to this hill, it's called a heartbreak hill. You, you are exhausted. You are tired. You feel like throwing up your arms. You feel like giving up. You are thirsty. But you see that just about six miles, you, you can, you, you, if you keep persevering, you would finish. I don't know where you are today in your life. Maybe everything is good for you. But maybe you are that heartbreak heel where you feel like you just need a little push. You just need somebody to be on the roadside clapping for you. You just need somebody to be cheering you on to say you would make it. Don't give up. 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 Today, the word of God is telling you, don't give up. Don't give up. You can do it. You can make it. Don't give up. Don't give up. Never give up. And that the heartbreak hill, you would go over the hill. The Lord is taking you over the hill. And oh, by the way, we, we have to encourage each other to go over the hill. We have to support each other to go over the hill. We have to help each other to go over this heartbreak hill. So when the runners go above that hill, and then they start descending. Then from there, it is straight on descending into the city of Boston. And usually, over the past 15 years, most of the winners of the Boston Marathon have been Africans. Uh, they come from um, Ethiopia, Kenya, that part of East Africa. They are excellent, excellent long-distance runners. And they've been winning the race all this time. Now, you and I, have been called into this marathon race, and the Holy Spirit is equipping us to finish this race well. That Christ has left the Holy Spirit here for us so that we can persevere, we can keep running, we can keep working together, we can keep loving each other, we can keep showing charity to each other. And there are many, many ways of us doing that. Together in our small groups, together in our fellowship groups, together in the other group, just caring deeply and passionately for each other because each of us has been called into this priesthood for this very reason. For this very reason. And a God who sees you, who knows you, would care for you daily. 
I have many, 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 many stories I can tell you to show you the love of Christ and how he cares for us. Amazing how God takes care of us on a daily basis. I'm just going to share one with you. This was many years ago. We had our second, um, our second daughter. We have three girls, all adult children now. We had a firstborn. And then two years after that, we had a second one. So we had the second baby. I was then in graduate school. So I was a poor man. I didn't have any money. Old. And life was tough. So once I was waiting for my paycheck to come, I lived on paycheck to paycheck. If it doesn't come, I don't eat. So I was in the office. My wife, Patience, calls me on the phone. She was almost in tears. And I said, well, what's happened? Is, is there something wrong? Anything happened at home? So by this time, with the baby, we were running out of Similac. You know Similac, uh, baby food. Uh, like Cerelac. It's, it's like baby food. We were almost run out. And we have about 10 days before I get paid. So I said, what are you crying? She said there was a knock on the door. She went to open the door. It's the post office man. The post office man came to the door and brought 12 cans of baby food. I'm talking about this and I feel like crying. I'm telling you this and I feel like crying. Now, who would have told the mailman who is just bringing mail that this household, Namades, take this Similac and go and knock on the door and give it to them? Who would have done that? Now, this man doesn't know us. We didn't tell him we were suffering. I didn't tell him that I was waiting 10 days to get my paycheck. I didn't tell him that we were out of baby food. But God in heaven sees. And God in heaven didn't want my baby to go hungry. And God in heaven, who cares very deeply about us, brought us food. So who are you to tell me that God doesn't exist? When he cares so deeply and so passionately about us. My brother, my sister, we serve an amazing God who has called us to his ultimate service of priesthood. And he's calling us to care for each other, to love each other, to pray with each other, to be there for each other, to worship together, to lift him up together, to glorify him together, to magnify him together, to make him bigger because he's better. Jesus, Hebrews tells us, is better than anything. Jesus is better than what the world can offer you. Jesus is better than what work can give you. Jesus is better than what money would give you. Jesus is awesome. Jesus is awesome. Jesus is amazing. And Jesus cares for you very deeply. Shall we pray? Our Father in heaven, we don't know how to thank you enough. Our Father in heaven, we don't know how to praise you enough. Our Father in heaven, we ask simply that you cause us to fall in love with you today and always. Our Father in heaven, we cause you to open our eyes that we will see and feel your love and see how awesome you are. Lord, let's see your holiness as we magnify you and as we make you bigger than what we know of. 
and cause us to feel your love. Cause us to feel your grace. Cause us to feel your redemption. And Father, again we ask, if there is a brother or a sister here who is struggling with this notion of accepting you, we pray that today you would cause them to open up their heart to you. That you would come in and be with them and sup with them and rest with them. That they would accept this grace, this wonderful grace that you've given them. That you've came to die and to give to them. And we'll be very careful to give you all the praise and all the glory. For we pray in Jesus' name, that awesome name, Amen.